Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. What up, Nets fans? Welcome to another episode of the Mass and All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco, Paul Mancana with you, as always, recording from our Mass and Studios. Paul, it's the middle of the week. It's hump day. Happy hump day. Happy hump day to you, Bobby. The Nationals are wrapping up a three-game series out in Coors Field. A road trip, too, as well. They're coming home after this, after today, after a mutual off day tomorrow. How are you going to spend your off day? Nothing. I'm going to be doing absolutely nothing. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Actually, probably, um, wa- I mean, I'm a huge draft guy, as you know. NFL, NBA, all that good stuff. I'm going to be watching the NFL draft. Yeah. Be watching, it's a good day uh, to have that on, since yeah. we're not doing anything tomorrow. I'm going to be watching uh, Kyler Murray go one. Okay. I'm going to be watching. You think so? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have. You think the cards are playing everybody? Uh, No. No, 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 no. They are not a smart enough organization to be. Well, everyone's that. saying that they're out on him now. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't don't believe the hype. Bobby. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. I'm going to watch your Raiders blow their pick at four. Sure, sure. And then, sure. Uh, as is tradition. Yep. And then uh, watch uh, the Eagles draft a future Hall of Famer. So yep. All, <clears throat> all in a did you see day. the report today? They're going to draft a receiver and trade Nelson Aguilar? I did. I did see that. Thoughts? Um, they could. Yeah, I think that's fine. I, I think Nelson Aguilar is a little overhyped. Um, also, nine million dollar price tag. Have you, Marquise Hollywood Brown. Have you have watched right. the tape of this guy? Yes, I want him. Oh man, he is. He's Oklahoma, speedy. right? Oklahoma. Yeah. He's Deshaun Jackson two which is perfect because we have Deshaun Jackson one point mm-hmm. um, So then you get both iterations. Get to learn. Yeah, learn from the best. I'm afraid the Redskins are going to trade up and get Dwayne Haskins. I do not want really that. do not want that to happen. I like at that all. guy. I think he, I mean, he's obviously not mobile, but. I don't want him. I mean, I don't want to pay, as my friends put it, a king's ransom for him. I mean, the Redskins have done that before. I don't. Yeah. My biggest fear, draft defense, please. Please draft defense. Okay. Because we're going to be bad this year. Just accept that fact. Stack the defense for the future. Right. And go offense next year. And then. Quarterback situation. I'm totally fine getting a quarterback third round. Yeah. Well, get get a a Will Greer type. Totally fine with that. Take it. Don't trade up everything to get Dwayne Haskins. Take like a lottery type pick on a quarterback this year and then if he if yeah. he's not good just if they go take for Dwayne like Haskins in that defensive end from Florida State or Michigan or I think Florida too yeah. are available and they take Haskins, I'm going to be quite visibly upset. But I'm spending my off day tomorrow watching Marvel movies. Oh yes. And going to see Endgame at midnight. Um, please don't spoil it for me. I'm going to see it on Saturday. Not spoiling the end game. I'll, I'll never do <laughs> I that. just don't know. I, I just don't do know that. about you, Bobby. <clears throat> no. Um, last last year, I kind of had um, what's it called spoiled for me. Um, Infinity War. Yeah, really? because I would see memes of well, like, yeah, that was very memeable. Yeah, I was like Mr. Stark. I don't feel too good. And I was like, well, then who's the only person in the Avengers that calls him Mr. Stark? Spider Man. Yeah. So I was like, well, Spider Man dies Get in some got. incineration way. Yeah. Um, it's a big upsetting. couple of days because end game tomorrow. You mm-hmm. said the NFL draft. The Caps play game seven tonight. Yeah, it's a nerve. It's a lot of nerves. Yeah, how are you feeling for game seven? Oh, just awful. Just, just terrible. So much. Just fear. a bundle of nerves. Just so much fear and anxiety. Um, I started off this playoff ser- season being very calm, being like, "Hey, right. we won the cup. It, it, it'll be fine." And now, against an inferior team. We're going Game 7. And did you watch the Game 7 last night between San Jose and Las Vegas? I didn't, but I heard about it. Oh, my goodness. Anything can happen. Literally, anything can happen. So that's what concerns me. It's playoff hockey. So I'm so glad we're talking baseball here instead of hockey or football or um, 
or Avengers because I'm actually more concerned about the Avengers movie than maybe Game 7, but that's a whole different story. All right, the Nationals, like we said, wrapping up a three-game set out in Denver against the Rockies. They've split this afternoon. They're going for a series win, the rubber match against the Rockies. Adrian Sanchez – oh, no, sorry, excuse me. Anibal Sanchez is on the mound. Question, why do they call it a rubber match or rubber game? Do you think it's because it, rubber is bouncy and it could go either way? That's a good – that's a good – idea i was also thinking like because you can stretch rubber so you can pull it either way right so the idea is like the series hinges on it and it can bounce back and forth i gotta i gotta google this continue continue. okay well again anibal sanchez on the mound today it's an afternoon game so we're gonna try to get this pot up before the game starts or at least within the first couple of innings but even if you're listening to it tomorrow it's fine on on thursday because we are actually talking about the game we're gonna talk about if you're Again, listening to this on Friday, we'll keep it relevant. Big picture stuff. Relevant. Um, Got to stay relevant. With the Nationals. First and foremost, our, our main topic today of conversation is we, we're 22 games into the season, um, about a month in, and our question for today is, who so far has been the Nationals' MVP? Um, they are sitting at 500, 11 and 11. Right. Did you figure out rubber match? Yeah, d- sorry, I was not. No, please inform the masses. Uh, okay, <clears throat> I'm real curious quick. Too. The sporting term rubber match. This is from Reference.com. Refers to the final and deciding game in a series and traces back to its origins in the 16th century English game of lawn bowling. Somewhat similar to bocce ball, the object of lawn bowling is to roll wooden balls across a flat field toward a small white ball so they stop as close as possible to the smaller ball without hitting it. Most experts agree that the term refers either to two balls rubbing together, a game-losing mistake, or to the final game's potential to, quote, rub out, end quote. Good Lord. (laughs) That was a losing team. Not nearly as interesting as I thought it would be. Wish I read ahead on that one. (laughs) Let's hope the FCC censors don't uh, rub that one out, you know, of uh, scrub that one. All right, Paul. <laughs> That's a boring definition. I don't like that. Yeah, I like that our also defini- doesn't. I still, I read that whole thing and I still don't understand. I like our bowling. definition better. That just sounds like a boring game. Sound- like, you know, you get those rubber balls like um, from like an arcade, like a, like, yeah. a vend- like an arcade vending machine and it's got, it's rubber, but it's got like different bumps around it. So if you, when you bounce it, kind of like a Jack's ball. When you like bounce it, it could bounce anyway. Oh yeah, that's what I was thinking of when you oh. said like a rubber, a rubber can go. Yeah, I'm gonna have to way. see a visual for this. I read that and it just went in one ear and out the other. So that a podcast episode, we're gonna play whatever 16th century English game that is. Yeah, let's All do right. it in the outfield at Nats Park. Let's ask the Nats if we can bar their outfield. We challenge Tony Rendon and Juan Soto. Look, they've done that kind of stuff before. Yeah, ladder golf. Yeah, that sounds like a 16th century sport. Come on. <laughs> Golfing with ladders? Um, okay, back to the Nationals. Uh, we are trying to figure out, or we're going to have a discussion today about who is the Nationals' MVP so yeah. far this season, a month into the season. Um, again, 11-11. and 11. The NL East is a tough race. The Nationals, I believe, are sitting in uh, third or fourth, but they're only like Changes a every game day. in it. Yeah, it just fluctuates every day because the National League East is by far the closest division race we've seen. Granted, still a month in. Paul, who do you have as your MVP so far? It's interesting because I tweeted it out because last night I was thinking about it, and obviously Rendon has missed a few games after being hit by that pitch. Um, I th- I would go. I mean, obviously Anthony Rendon has been a monster. I mean, he's hitting like three seventy. He's got six homers. Um, he's one of the best hitters in baseball as of right now. But I would. I think you can make a strong argument for Sean Doolittle. 
And yeah. here's why. Sean Doolittle has pitched in 11 games. He's got 11 and a third innings so far to his name as of the time of this recording. Of the 52 other relievers who have thrown that many innings, only three have allowed one run. He is one of four pitchers to have thrown that many innings to allow one run. He has an ERA under one because of that. He just has... I don't know what this team would do without him. And if you talk about most valuable player, I think you could make an argument that he has undoubtedly been the most uh, valuable player to this team because of their bullpen woes. Yeah, I'm looking at... uh, That's a good point. He's by far the best pitcher in a bad bullpen and without him this bullpen would be atrocious yeah he's um, he is single-handedly bringing down that era like right. by probably two runs i don't know the, Na- the nationals are probably still in last place in terms of bullpen era yeah. but that era will be 10 times worse yeah without sean doolittle and i'm looking at uh the nats baseball reference page and he ranks third amongst all their players in war according to baseball reference yep behind patrick corbin and anthony rendon two guys who i think you mentioned Anthony Rendon. I think Patrick Corbin's going to be mine right now, my MVP so really? far. Yeah. Um, but, and then also, according to Fangraph, Sean Doolittle also has a top three war for the Nationals. So, yeah, that's a great argument. I think the Nationals, he's got three wins. He only has a handful of saves, I believe. But, you know, they're, again, at 500. They've, <laughs> they've been stuck at 500, it seems like, the entire season. Yeah. I don't think they're they're – Probably five games under 500 without Sean Doolittle. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, if you have a guy that already has affected the game that much and the, the, your win-loss record that much, I think that matters. He, he, I don't think the save is a good enough statistic for him right now to show his value. According to baseball reference, nine of his 11 appearances have come in late and close situations, which the definition of that is like seventh inning or later and you're within one or two runs. That means he's entering almost every situation in a high leverage situation where the pressure is at its greatest. And if you imagine any other pitcher in this Nats bullpen in that kind of situation, you know, like like the four three game yesterday, right? And who else would you throw in that situation? Yeah. And odds are, pretty much whoever that is, like half the time they they're going to blow it, yeah. just based on the guy what we've seen from them so far. So for him to affect the game that way, that's they would be. Like you said, they would be under well under 500, I think, without him. I think we and I can agree that the save statistic is definitely an overrated statistic, kind of like ERA for it's a such starter. a weird one. It is a weird one. But that being said, not taking anything away from the save that Sean Doodle got last night because that was oh, a yeah. four-out save in a right. high-leverage situation against a good lineup in a hitters-friendly ballpark. Yeah. So, like, that... Yes, we can say saves are bogus, kind of, but that was a, a save. Oh, agreed. That's, agreed. A, that's a big save. That, I, I just think the qualifications are weird. I just think it is weird. He probably should have, like, <laughs> nine saves. He should, you know? because there's also been times where um, he's been com- he's coming in and, like, the Nats are only up by three, and there's, like, two runners on, yeah. and the tying runs at the plate, but, you know, Bob saying, like, nope, it's still not a safe situation. No one knows what a safe situation is. There are, like, four qualifications. I want to look it up. I, I, to me, if the... Tying run is at the plate, or even on deck, that should be a safe situation. There, there was like a situation. I mean, in that that remember that thirty to three Rangers Orioles game years ago. <laughs> Somebody got Do a I? save from that game. Yeah, that's the weird, just the bizarre nature of it. Okay, real quick, I want to give you the stats for a save because I'm interested now. You mean the qualifications? Qualifications. Sorry. Uh, so a pitcher has to meet all four of the following conditions. He is 
the finisher finishing pitcher in a game won by his team. So he has to be the last guy. Okay. He's not the winning pitcher. Sean Doolittle has three wins, which is more than any other pitcher on the staff right now. Right. So those three wins means he can't get the save in those games. Wins are also bizarre. Yes, wins obviously make no sense. But so far, I'm with this, so I can agree with on both mm-hmm. of those qualifications. Go ahead. He is credited with at least a third of an inning pitched. Fine. You have to record an out. Yep. yep. And he sat... <laughs> there's another subset. He satisfies one of the following conditions. One, he enters the game with a lead of no more than three runs and pitches for at least one inning. So, like, that, there was that situation... Of um, several games ago, where you know the Nats bullpen hemorrhages and gives up that huge lead, and it was nine start up nine to two, and all of a sudden they're right. You it know. was nine six, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And he if he comes in in the ninth inning with one out, he that can't be a save. To me, that's bogus. So the second thing of that is he enters the game regardless of the count with a potential tying run on base at bat or on deck. Okay. And third, I can he, I can get behind that. And third, he pitches for at least three innings. What? What? <laughs> what? So like the idea is so like that thirty. Oh, that's pro- that's why in that thirty to, to three, three game, game that guy because I think he pitched the last three innings. So basically, if you pitch, that's such a bogus. If you pitch seven, eight, nine, and you finish the game, and your team won, you get the save, regardless that, of the score. That grinds my gears. That's just makes no sense because. That's three, six, nine. Even if the Orioles score nine runs, they still lose thirty to twelve. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. I yeah. The saves are bogus. That's a bogus stat. So you can also come in it, two outs in the ninth, and the tying run is on deck. So like, it that, could be a four-three game. Yeah. There's nobody on base, uh, and oh, that's the saves. I'm trying to think of that tying run to, would be. So it could be a five-three game. There's nobody on base. And if Tying Wrong is on deck. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be... So 5-3 game, nobody on base. How many? No outs? Two outs? Two outs. Tying... So it's assuming that... I think it should only become a safe situation if the guy at the plate gets on base or scores. Like a home run. Yeah. Yeah. Hits a, gets on base. I guess. I don't know. That's so bogus. But you I can, mean, the point it, is, they he saved like especially in that instance where it was not uh, nine to two and then mm-hmm. became nine six. You know, it's a three run game. He saved the game. Yeah. You know, he he protected the lead and he saved the Nationals the W. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. To me, that qualifies as a save because without I mean, without him, who knows how many more runs he 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 was the stopper. Yeah. Who knows how many more more runs they put up without John Doolittle? Yeah. It. Anyway, that, we got way off the rails there. We really did, but that's such an interesting conversation. Yeah, I, it I is. Like having that. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that is my case for Sean Duel. Why would you? I want to hear your case for Patrick Corbin. Well, if you look at the numbers first and foremost. He's he's the best starter right now. I mean, he's their best starter. He's two and zero in five starts with a two four eight ERA. His WHIP is point nine two, um, and you know he's uh, him Scherzer and Strasburg are like in the top. Four or five in the league in strikeouts, so he he's obviously a big strikeout guy, and they're thirty nine strikeouts. But to me, that also it goes also behind beyond just him mm-hmm. in the sense that we've seen Max give up a bu- bu- bunch of runs. Yeah, um, just just recently in Miami, you know, he got beat around on, on Saturday, and Steven Strasburg has been slow getting along, and, and Jeremy Hellickson has been. It's been solid, but you know he's not a top of the rotation guy like the other three. And Anibal Sanchez has 
pitched valiantly as well, but again, not a top of the rotation guy. I just think he currently leads the Nationals in war, according uh-huh. to baseball reference, 1.6. Um, so, and yeah. out of his five starts, the Nationals have lost two, even though he's 2-0. and Right. Um, but they did end up, you know, he has put them in position to win in all five of his starts. Yeah. So they have, they've won uh, two straight, he, with him getting credit for the W, and then they also won his debut, but after having to come back because I believe that was the, a bullpen yeah. implosion, and um, then subsequent Nats rallying yeah. to to DW. I just think, you know, we talked a lot about how this team was going to fill out their starting rotation in the off season, mm-hmm. and then when Patrick Corbin came, you know, because fans just even just recently were clamoring like the Nationals had signed Gio Gonzalez who opted out of his minor league deal with the Yankees yeah. and then today signed with the Brewers. But, you know, think of where we would be without Patrick Corbin. You know, the Nationals would have had to maybe be all in on Gio Gonzalez at this point. Yeah, maybe. I um, mean, who? I mean, because then you have Joe Ross who's currently in the bullpen. Right. Wasn't quite ready to be a starter. Eric Fetty wasn't quite ready to be a full-time starter. Yeah. I mean... That it would have they would have been de- they would be dealing with a bad bullpen and an incomplete rotation. Well, I without think, Patrick Corbin. Yeah, I think if they hadn't signed Patrick Corbin, though, they maybe not would have traded Tanner Roark, or they maybe would have gone after one of the other guys that were sitting out there. Who knows? Maybe they would have splashed out and paid Dallas Keuchel or something like that. Maybe. So, um, but I yeah I see. I mean, the the one complaint I think with Patrick Corbin so far, and maybe it's just skewed because you know pitchers starting pitchers go have shorter and shorter leashes um, with each passing year. I would just like to see Patrick Corbin go deeper into games a little bit. He went six, six, seven, seven and two-thirds and six. Yeah, so the most he's done is seven and two-thirds. So that's... You into know, the that, eighth. So, um, and he's thrown his last three starts. He's thrown just over 100 pitches. So I just would, you know, if he can keep the pitch count just because, and maybe I'm just getting greedy because... Of he's thrown 106, 107, 103, his last three outings. Right. So this just because this bullpen, and this bullpen has not been taxed, they've thrown either the least or the second least innings of any bullpen in baseball. It's ridiculous at this point to think that they are doing as poorly as they are considering how little work they're getting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the fact that he has gone at least six innings in all of his outings, and he hasn't given up more than three earned runs in any of those outings. I mean, he has been everything that they have hoped for through the first month of the season. And I would say a little more again, considering how the other kind of guys not necessarily laboring, but aren't fully up to their potential. Well, yeah, I mean, sure, there's ERA right now is four four five. Yeah, I mean, I I would call that labor, it, it, and obviously it's blown out of proportion by the last start in which he gave up seven runs, which he had never done as a national. Um, But I don't think you could say... Obviously, we knew Corbin had ace potential, but I think through the first month of the season, I don't think many people would expect Corbin to have an ERA two runs below Max Scherzer's. Yeah, and for comparison, Max Scherzer has gone seven and two-thirds, five, six and a third, eight, in a loss to Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. which was he was outstanding and, and the Nats couldn't hold on, and then five and a third in Miami. Steven Strasburg and his five starts have gone has gone six, six and two thirds, four, six and eight. So yes, both Max and Steven have gone deeper at in one particular outing than Patrick Corbin, but Patrick Corbin has been the most consistent. Yeah. Because they have 
a four at, a four inning outing, a five inning outing on their record, which is like fine. I mean, they can't be perfect all the time, but Patrick, I think Patrick Corbin, his consistency, keeping this team in games yeah. every time he takes the hill has been huge for this team, especially considering their bullpen issues and and yeah. with the offense kind of a slow start, they're playing much better now. Um, I also think either one of us probably would have picked Anthony Rendon had he not been hurt, not yep. been out the past almost a week coming up now. Uh, he's the highest rated offensive or position player in in war mm-hmm. on baseball reference. But, um, you know, it's it's tough to get those votes when you're, when you're not playing. Yeah. But Anthony comes back and he starts playing well again. He's going to shoot at the top of the list. It's it's interesting. So, yeah. So, I, I agree with you. I think that this, you know, obviously, I think most – MVP conversations have to revolve around where would this team be without X player. That's the whole point. Yeah. Like my whole thing is most valuable player to that team. Like yeah. the, the team would not be where they are without this player. Right. Exactly. That was my whole qualm with back in what was it 2016 when Chris Bryant beat out Daniel Murphy. Right. For the NL MVP. I mean, if if we want to call it who's the best player, just call it best player. Right. Most valuable player. Chris Bryant was on the World Series winning Cubs. Like take Chris Bryant out. Yeah, okay, maybe they don't win the World Series. Maybe they – but they still are a great team. That was a great team, and yeah. they still make the playoffs and probably win their division. Take Daniel Murphy out of the equation of the 2016 Nats, that team doesn't make the playoffs. Yeah, that you're probably right. So I, that's my issue with the whole conversation about most valuable right now. Right. I, I think right now looking at it, especially with Rendon Hurt, we can, we can see how this lineup hasn't suffered, but, you know, it's not crushing the ball like we – like. and, and we yeah. talked about how – just taking Rendon out. Actually, Bo Porter and Dan Kogel had a great conversation the other day on that's extra. How taking Rendon out the lineup makes the whole thing shuffle. It yeah. just shuffles everybody around. Um, I, but I think where, where would this team? I just look at it. Where would this team be without Patrick Corbin and Sean Doolittle? It, it, they would be a couple games under five hundred. Well, I think that's a perfect transition to talk about the bullpen because that seems like our weekly topic that we're talking about all the time. But if you look at this entire Nationals pitching staff at this point. Three pitchers on this entire staff have an ERA under four. Patrick Corbin, 248, Sean Doolittle, 079, and Kyle Bearclaw at just over two, 216. Three pitchers have under four. That is insane to think about because we knew that the bullpen was going to be an issue, obviously, but those starting that starting pitching just has not been we we talked about this being a, a potentially a four A staff, you know, going into the season. So um, let's talk about the bullpen because those ERAs were obviously inflated. We did a piece about it a couple weeks ago. And they they have gone down a little bit. Trevor Rosenthal is no longer in infinity. He's under 50 for an ERA. Woo! Yep. Uh, but they're still pretty... Oh, baby! Nice. Love it. They're still pretty high. Um, and I want to talk about one guy in particular who actually um, looked good yesterday um, against the Rockies. Joe Ross. hey do is we, this what we're going with now? Is Joe Ross a reliever now? Obviously, they need him to be for the time being. But if this team, say this team trades for a few guys, um, you know, at, at before the deadline, say they bolster that rotation a lot, what do you think the long-term plan of Joe Ross is? Do you think it has changed from starter to reliever? Or do you think they're just, this is a necessary move and eventually they'll work him back into a starting role? It's a tight rope to walk. Because we, we saw it with Tanner Roark. He had a great 2014 as a starter. 2015 
they had to move him to the bullpen, mm-hmm. and he wasn't nearly as successful. Right. And then that kind of put his whole – and he had, he had a good bounce back in 2016, but 2017 and 2018, he wasn't. He never never was the same pitcher again. And, you know, pitchers have talked about going back and forth. Obviously, on paper, they're going to say, yeah, you know, it's fine. I, I mean, I'll get ready the same way. I'll pitch. You know, pitching is pitching. But that's just not the case. There, there's a different mindset going into it where I'm starting this game or – I'm going to be in a high leverage situation late in the game. Yeah, um, it's just a different approach to how you how you go about your business. Yeah, so it's 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 a delicate balance. So I would say first and foremost, the Nationals need to be careful and or decide what they're going to do with Joe Ross. Yeah. relatively soon. If you're going to go make a move and bring guys in so he can be delegated back to a starter, do it. Yeah, the longer he's a reliever, the more. Comfortable. I mean, it's just separation kind of thing. The more yeah. comfortable he'll be getting at relieving, and the further away he'll be from starting and being back to where he was as a starter and into that routine and rhythm. For context, he hadn't worked as a reliever in a big league game since 2015, his rookie season, where yeah. he did for three games. So it's it. Is, I agree with you. It's the kind of thing. It seemed like they had, and obviously Tommy. So Tommy John changed things. So yeah, it looked like they had him on a path to potentially just – it looked like in 2018 it was like, all right, this guy, you know, if he had stayed healthy, it's like we're going to squeeze him into the rotation where he's needed, you know, take the starts that Eric Fetty probably would have taken, and then eventually, you know, if he shows enough, then he could be a starter. But missing that whole year threw things off. Yeah. Um, and it it might have thrown off his trajectory permanently. But I agree with you, Bobby. It – you know, I don't know what he was told coming into the season. If you know, you might work both. My guess is, if I had to totally guess, I think that they still wanted to keep him as a starter. I think they thought that they had enough in that um, bullpen, and they were going to keep Ross as a starter at the Triple A level. And they figured, or Double A, depending, you know, because of the the time difference with Fresno. Uh-huh. But depending on. What you know, they figured maybe Annabelle Sanchez, maybe Steven Strasburg, maybe even Scherzer will miss starts here and there, and then they'll bring Ross back as a starter, like they did Eric Fetty last year. I would even say that the injury maybe just presented the opportunity for him to become right. I mean, they're kind of just taking advantage because we saw him come up in the second half last season, they didn't really stress him, but we talked about during the offseason, during our player evaluations, how. It was a good idea to, if he's ready to pitch, bring him up. That way he's not even, you know, three months further behind schedule when yeah. he comes into this season. So getting him up at the big league level and, and getting him innings against major league pitching, mm-hmm. I, th- I was behind in a good idea. But still, and they were, they've been relatively careful with him all through spring training and into the beginning of this season. You yeah. know, it's Tommy John, you know, he's not fully removed from that procedure yet. And he, now he looks good, but he st- it's just still like you got to be careful, man. It's 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 scary. Exactly. It's and even pitchers even say there's a mental aspect to it because once you have that surgery, that's all you're kind of thinking about once you're up there. So I think it kind of presented an opportunity. Well, we're easing him in anyways, so why don't we put him in some relief innings where he's not expected or not thinking he has to go four or five or six innings. He yeah. can go one, maybe two, and you know, and he you know he's a power pitcher. He's got strong stuff and I think we've seen in the past in his career you know he comes out the gate strong in the first second and third innings it's maybe the later innings he kind of tails off so you get those power innings in the middle of the game that can be extremely helpful for a bullpen definitely and I think it's interesting just the way you know it it, I agree with you Bobby I think it's like 
it was just kind of the situation of we have a need and also right. this might end up helping him. Right. Um, there is a danger there in terms of what if he struggles in that role like Tanner Roark did? What if his confidence, it hurts his confidence? What if it hurts, you know, it could, it could have long-term effects if he really struggles in that role. So far he's been eh, very eh. 5.79 ERA at the time of this recording. Uh, he has looked just... He at times he has looked uncomfortable out there, um, and it's just interesting because typically when a starter you move a starter into a reliever role, it's because they have struggled in the starting role. But he never really struggled in the starting role. It's just the fact that he had Tommy John, the fact yeah. that they had this he had need. set back from the starter role. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that's going to be something to watch. If this team does acquire some relievers, what are they going to do with Joe Ross? And and if if somebody goes down in the rotation. Is Joe Ross the next man up to fill those spots? Well, uh, the way I see it, it's, you know, Joe Ross and Wander Suero are holding the same positions in this bullpen where they are uh, ideal situations, the long-term reliever yeah, or multiple multiple inning reliever. So, you know, what happens if that comes? Yes, they get people, but Wander Suero turns. I mean, Wander Suero's ERA is not that much better, and he's been in a lot more games. Yeah. So if, if he's not where they expected him to be. Maybe Joe Ross elevates himself into that role. Yeah. And Rondo Suero was a rookie last year, so he still has options. Exactly. Um, You can send him down instead. So, I I mean, it's something they have to figure it out. They have time to figure it out. But, again, I just go caution. If you're going to use him as a reliever, that's fine. Keep him there. But don't – and the Nationals know this. They've obviously seen it before. Don't go back and forth. You you can't teeter him back and forth. I I think that messes with a pitcher's – mojo and and get some off course exactly all right one more guy in the bullpen that i do want to talk about is kyle bearclaw um because i think some people some fans have asked the question bearclaw has looked good 2.16 era as mentioned why hasn't davy used him for more than one inning at a time um the guy has never been in his career a long reliever and he's been used as a closer at times in his career obviously not filling that role now but so far this season, um, he hasn't thrown more than one inning in any one of his appearances, and he's thrown an entire inning in just four of his 12 appearances. He did have some injury issues last year, and obviously he's coming off a down year, but he has looked good. Would you want to stretch him out at any point, Bobby? If, if push comes to shove and he's say, throws a 1-2-3 inning and it's the, they're going into the 7th or 8th, I mean, are you comfortable trying to stretch him out a little bit more, or do you, does yeah. that limit his effectiveness? I don't. I don't know. I mean, I guess we didn't really pay attention, or at least I didn't pay attention to how Miami used him. Now again, he was injured, so that. Well, I'm know, glad you asked. Puts an astro. Oh, you have it. Oh, I can tell you, Bobby. <laughs> tell me. They only used him for one inning for the most part. For but that's- an inning at a time, though, not. And out at a time. Yeah, not a exactly. specialty. Um, but he was a closer for a, a little bit. Right. Okay. So he, he didn't throw more than one inning in any of his appearances with the Marlins in 2018. And the last time he threw more than one inning was August 2017. So a year and a half. Yeah. Basically. So basically he was, that's what D- Davey is saying. Okay. They used him and for one inning last year. I'm going to do the exact same thing this year. So still easing him into it. Right. At what point does. I mean, do they need him to? uh, Well, that's what I'm saying. At what point do you feel, okay, he's he's good. He's he's into it. (laughs) You know, we don't need to ease him into it anymore. He's he is who he is, and and he's ready to go. He can give us a full inning. Right. Um, That's up to the pitcher and and I guess the training staff to figure out. And you know, can his arm hold up 
for the full inning. He almost, uh, it was the finale in Miami on Sunday. He almost got through the ninth by himself. He got mm-hmm. two outs, and I believe he actually should have gotten the third. Uh, he was super close to getting through that inning, and they let him they let him ride, but uh, they eventually had to go and bring in Sean. So he, he's getting closer, it seems like. Um, it just, this is, I feel like, less of a careful balancing act than the Joe Ross situation because he is a guy who has done it before. He knows what it takes. He's been in high leverage situations and pitched full innings. It's just a matter of him ramping back up and getting to that level again. And it seems like we're close. It does. It's just... I can understand why it could be frustrating for uh, fans because at times it seems like they've pulled him out of a game when he's doing well in a close game and they've had to throw in somebody who's struck, struggling. Yeah. Somebody like a Mac Grace or a Wander Suero. Yeah. Um, it, it is interesting that he has the, out of all but Matt Grace, he has the most appearances, but one of the fewest innings. Yeah. Like total innings out recorded. Exactly. Um, and I think it's just, it, it can be frustrating. Like, and, you know, Justin Miller obviously is injured. And it's just, though, when it seems like, like, for example, if we could, uh, if I could use a specific game. Go for it. Um, this is a little while ago, but the April 6th, they play, they're playing the Mets. And Kyle Bearclaw comes in for one inning to follow up Patrick Corbin, um, doesn't allow a hit in his one inning of work. And then they go to Justin Miller, who allows two runs. And then they go to Tony Sipp, who allows a run and doesn't get an out. And the Nats end up blowing a game that they could have won six to five to the Mets. So it's like you know, if if you do not trust Bear Claw for more than one inning, health wise, do not trust him stuff wise, because he's pitching the best of any reliever not named Sean Doolittle. Well, that was also what two weeks ago. Yeah, true. So that's also a scenario where okay, he got his inning onto the next one. That's mm-hmm. I think that's more so. Just like traditional bullpen management, you get the guy for hit. You have this guy, this guy, this guy for these three mm-hmm. innings. You get through this one, all right, on to the next one. You right. know, Adam, the plan going into it probably was never to have him go two innings because they pro- probably, at this point, we also weren't fully aware of the bullpen situation and how much, how dire it was. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, Kyle got through his, on to the next guy. You know, yeah. we, there's no need for. Right now, this early in the season, you know, it's not postseason. It's it's early in the season. We don't need for him to go more than right. one. Everyone should be in their slots, seventh, eighth, nine, yeah, to get this W. And I think it's starting to write itself a little bit because I think um, over the last few outings, he's been working either in the ninth in a non-save situation or in the eighth um, right behind Sean Doolittle and just working the eighth and that's it. Yeah. Um, and that makes sense because I think ultimately that might've been, I think the, the plan probably coming into the year was you had, um, Bearclaw seven, Rosenthal eight, Doolittle nine for a win. I think this year, you know, kind of like last year, how it was Kinson, Kinsler, Madsen, Doolittle. Yeah. Um, but because of Rosenthal, they have had to shift Bearclaw into that eighth inning. Yeah. And I think that's probably in wins, that's going to be the plan going forward. Yeah. You say. It's a domino effect. So it's not entirely Kyle or Davey Martinez's fault. It's the, you know, Trevor Rosenthal struggling. His, his really bad, slow start. Right. Tony Sipp hasn't been what they expected him to be either. So it's kind of a domino effect yeah. where it's a combination of, all right, other guys, we need him in other situations because other guys aren't doing their jobs and also we're being cautious with him and, and right. trying to find the right scenarios where he can succeed. Exactly. And if he, st- if he sticks in that eight role, it'll be interesting to see who Davey trusts the most in that seven role. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and, and piece the bullpen together. And, yeah. And, and, 
it also depends on how far the starter goes. I mean, it's just exactly. it's just the traditional day in and day out decisions that managers and teams have to figure out in terms of their players. This is true. Bobby, uh, what's your Twitter handle? At Bobby underscore Blanco. Paul, what is yours? At Paul Mancano. You ask me this every time. Every Just time. write it down. Just making sure that the people Just remember. write it down. Uh, be sure to subscribe, obviously. Let us know what you think. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Also check out our coverage from Nats Park. The Nats are coming home. They're hosting Manny Machado and the Padres this yes. weekend at Nationals Park. We'll see you at the yard. For Paul, I'm Bobby. Thanks for listening.